This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Jason Burns and Access Church in Lakeland, Florida. For more information, visit access.tv. Well, if you've been around, you know that we are in the middle of a series of the book of Romans. It's 16 chapters. We're doing it in 10 weeks. I know the math doesn't add up. But we promise you we're going to give you all that we have with these 10 weeks. And basically this whole summer is our gift to you to teach you how to dive a little deeper into books of the Bible. And so Romans, as we know, the past few weeks, uh, as we the communicators that have been coming up have been incredible. Uh, we know that Paul is the author and he's speaking to the Roman church or really the whole state and really beyond that us uh, and he's correcting things and he's speaking out theology I heard it this week said that Romans is the protein shake of the New Testament so maybe we're gonna get you know bulkier and bigger when we leave here but it's certainly true that it's the media there's so much good things Paul has this gift of like bringing theology which is a big word just means the study of God and helping us apply it to our life and so really uh, Romans really the purpose of Romans is this it's spiritual clarity It's to clarify bigger topics so that people like you and me can understand how to appropriate the gospel message. And really, the central message of Romans is that. It's the gospel message, the good news. I mean, in a world that is uh, blurring the lines of morality, uh, causing us to look past um, uh, the, the definite things in life and causing us to look through feelings and emotions and how we we feel Clarity certainly is a priority in this life because you turn on the news, you pick up your phone, and you're going to see darkness. You're going to see bad news. And so Paul's coming and saying, let's clarify a few things because there is good news for everyone. Amen? And so today we're going to jump into that. So, look, I never really was into sports uh, growing up, as you can see, uh, but I did play Little League. Baseball. Now, baseball is one of those. It's American. It's apple pie. And so I want to share a quick story with you to get us started. But before we do that, let's, let's establish some baseball rules. Super simple. You can play along. Okay. What, what are these called? Bases. Right, right. And what are these called? Lines or foul lines. Good job. There was a little hesitancy there. Not, not a trick question. Okay. Uh, and so when, when you go up to bat, you have a, a few uh, opportunities to hit the ball, right? Or if you, and if you don't hit the ball, you're what? A little strikeout. Basic rules. Well, when I was nine years old, I was playing Little League, and it was my game because it was really my only highlight of any kind of sports that I've ever did in my life. I, I hit a home run. That's right. Your boy hit a home run. Little League. But right after that, my friend Chris was bragging, saying, you, you, you think that's cool? Watch this. I got a shortcut. So Rules again, right? You hit the ball. This is what base? Correct. So Chris hits the ball somewhere out here, and he comes up here, hits first, skips second, <laughs> runs behind the pitcher, hits third, comes, hits home, celebrates, throw the ball, they tag him out. He's celebrating. And he said, look, I got a shortcut. And I know that shortcuts don't work in sports. There's absolutes. There's, there's rules. There's things you have to abide by or you get called out or penalty or it doesn't work out. And my opinion is when, with Paul coming, uh, coming into Romans and speaking to us, the same rule applies. You can't take shortcuts on your spiritual life. You can't take shortcuts on the things of God. In fact, you certainly can't take shortcuts on the word that um, I want to speak to you guys about today. And it's this three-letter little, three little S word here, sin. You can't take shortcuts on sin. You just can't. 
And we're a church that we're going to address everything holistically in the Bible. And some churches shy away from this. In my opinion, and Pastor Jason, as we dream this up, is if we can give a biblical, life-giving representation of what sin really is through the Scripture, we believe that you can walk out of here living free. In fact, boil the message down to one statement. It's this. The goal today is to move from sin management to freedom from sin. That's in your notes. From sin management, which many of us do, to freedom from sin. So let's jump into uh, Romans 6. Now, sin, before we jump into this, sin, uh, I don't know what your perspective is on, on that word. I don't know if you've grown up in the church or if you're brand new to this. When I was growing up, I grew up in a very hyper-charismatic, sin-centered uh, culture and church. Growing up in the church, uh, non-Christian music was a sin. There's an old word, it's called secular music is a sin. And so I remember getting like albums when I was young. Rock music was a sin because of the tribal beat and you're letting the devil in. Secular music was a sin. So we had these burning ceremonies where we would bring our secular music. I remember I, I burned a Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit tape. That's how old I was. I, I just brought it up to the altar. I, probably a year later I bought the CD. So hey. <laughs> I came out on top. <laughs> but music was a sin. Movies certainly were a sin, unless they were done by the Christian network, which was absolutely terrible. Shit, a little bit, they still are, but whatever, you know. Music was, makeup was a sin. You couldn't get too dressed up because, you know, you're the temple of God, right? Some of us need makeup. I need makeup. Sin, I mean, basically, if it was fun, it was sin. And so there was this, this lifestyle that if it was fun, it was sin. And so they would beat you down, and because of that, uh, you found yourself, like, getting saved every week. Like, back in the day, they did these things called altar calls, where you would not just raise your hand, you'd come forward, and you would express yourself that you're a sinner, and there was a lot of tears, a lot of shouting, but there was this culture that we would do it every week, so if you went and you cussed, or you listened to music, you got to get saved again, and so there was this this identity issue, there was this grace uh, abuse, there was this culture that was just not healthy with spirituality. So you've got this hyper sin, but on the other side, you could have this hyper grace, which uh, I had many friends uh, as I got older that lived in this lifestyle. I made that decision when I was young, so I can live my life however I want. I'm still good with God. I can live with my girlfriend, I can go out to the bars, I can do these things, and I can still, I'm still good because of that one little prayer when you were four years old in church. So there's this dichotomy between these two paths that you can take. Paul comes in and he says, now let's do this. Let's, uh, let's jump in and let's talk about the sin. Let's, let's define sin. Uh, let's get into what really means to, uh, to define sin. And so here it is. It's real easy. In, in John, it says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is what? Lawlessness. It's lawlessness. It's the absence of law or the refusal of God's law. And that's what sin is. In the original Greek, this is simply defined as missing the mark. Sin is missing the mark. Think of a marksman with a bow and arrow firing it. And I thought about bringing one here, but I knew I would hit something like the drums or this something. Think of the marksman hitting. And he knows where his target is, but as he lets go, he's not really focused on that direction and is just wild. A little bit more of an extent um, definition is this. This is what I want to tease out for a second. Sin is missing the mark 
whether intentionally or unintentionally. So whether you know you're in sin or not, it's still missing the mark of God's moral standard. It's the key word or law as described in his word. Notice it's not my standard. Notice it's not, young people, it's not your parents' standard. Notice it's certainly not culture's standard. God's standard of the law. So, now that we have a basic definition of sin, what I want to do is I want to bring to you a few effects of sin, and then we're going to hear some good news. We're going to learn how to battle this stuff. So the first effect of sin is this. Write this down. Sin separates. Sin separates. Separates you from joy, from relationships, from healthy margins in life. Sin separates. In fact, Isaiah says, says it like this. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Sin separates you from God. God's best, God's future, God's plan, God's voice. Sin will separate you. Number two, sin leads to death. Sin will always lead to death. In fact, here's, here's what I was thinking earlier uh, this week, and I want to say it like this. Sin always overpromises on fun and underdelivers on fulfillment. That's a good amen right there. Sin always overpromises on fun but underdelivers on fulfillment. Sin will always leave you death. That short-term feeling that makes you feel good today always robs you of tomorrow. It robs you of what God wants to do in your life in the future. Sin will kill things in your life. Certainly, it could end up killing you spiritually, robbing you of the season of that moment. And the next thing is, the third thing, you, you got it, sin separates, sin's death. Sin keeps us from God's best. Sin can keep you from God's best. Now, let's... Let's really get into the weeds here. Paul says in Galatians, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Now, it may not be obvious to some of us, so let's go through these. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry. Idolatry is simply anything you put before God. So it can be your future. It can be your business, cutting corners financially. It could be your marriage. It could be the approval of others. Come on. It could be the insecurities that you see in the mirror so you, do, you live your life in a certain way. Anything that you put before God. Idolatry and witchcraft, that one's fun. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And here's the good news, the next verse. And I warn you, Look, if God ever says in his, in his words, I warn you, you, you need to listen up. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the what? The kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? God's best for your life. God's kingdom coming down into your life. This big list of things, they're things that you should look through and filter through in your own life. It keeps us from God's best. Robs us from the future because of these things that we've allowed in our lives. Number four, sin traps the sinner. Sin will trap you, will hold you hostage. 1 John 8, 34 says this. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now look, I know, I know that's a tough word, especially in our modern culture. Slave, these words are big. Slave, death. But think about that. Think about all the imagery that when you think of slavery, and that's what sin does to you. It traps you. It holds you tight. It keeps you from fulfilling God's destiny because of the things that you've allowed in your life. But what happens is when that thing takes a hold of you, then you second guess your future. You second guess God leading you, using you, hoping to use you in the future. 
And then it robs you of future assignments because you're trapped. And lastly is this, sin is a counterfeit. Sin is a counterfeit. And this statement is so true. Everything God has, the devil has a counterfeit for your life. And I know I'm stepping on some toes here, but listen. If, if you got a healthy marriage and you go to work and there's other relationships that you're entertaining, it's going to rob you. It's a counterfeit. Look, if you look into these, these documentaries where they teach people how to notice counterfeit bills, they're not teaching you what a counterfeit is. They teach these, these agents what the real thing is so that they know the counterfeit. When you fall in love with Jesus Christ and you know him, he will show you what the counterfeit is. He will show you how to get through that sin. He will reveal to you the counterfeits in your life because of sin. Sin is the counterfeit. So let's jump into, so Genesis, let me just show you one last quick thing before we jump in. So Genesis 1, uh, is, it starts from the beginning. You can see that at the very beginning of time. Now the serpent was craftier than any other wild animal. He, did, uh, he said to the woman, did God really say that? In other words, I, don't, I think I have, you got it all wrong. I think I have something else for you. Did God say that? Because look at this. You must not eat the fruit in the tree of the garden, which is the, how this all started. Because of the fall of man, sin came into this world. It was at this point that history changed. Because of the sin came, that came in, all from the beginning, this counterfeit in our lives. So real quick, let's, let me show you all five again. Sin separates, sin leads to death, sin keeps us from God's best, sin traps the sinner, and sin is a counterfeit. If you've got a picture phone, go ahead and just take a picture. That's a good one to, to, to use and post to remember. So, there's the effects. I'd be a terrible pastor if I didn't show you how to overcome them, wouldn't I? How do you live free from sin now? That's what I want to focus on for the rest of this time in Romans chapter 6. Number one, count yourself dead to sin. Romans 6.1 says this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. Died to sin. I mean, circle that. Write that down. How can we live in it any longer? In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive in Christ. So Paul comes in, and he's, he's speaking to bad behavior with good theology. He's saying, bad behavior is you make excuses because grace will be there. Good theology is, let me show you how to overcome that. The first step is, you need to understand that when, this is a little heady, this gets into the weeds a little bit, but I want, you to exp I want to explain this to you. When you receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the grace comes in, washes you clean, fills in the gaps. You're justified, which we learned last, uh, a couple weeks ago. You're justified by faith because of Jesus Christ. And he comes in and he says, look, now all these things have happened. You're in right standing. Now sin is this issue. And I want you to let you know at the very beginning, now you're dead to this sin because of the cross. It's erased. So what's, what do dead people do? Nothing. <laughs> They're dead. They're dead, right? Well, the first thing of, of dead people is we have to understand they, they lose their desires. In fact, Galatians says it like this. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the what? The desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. Well, what's the opposite of the Spirit? The flesh. 
You lose those desires when you walk in the spirit. So dead people don't have desires, so you lose that ability. So God says, okay, in Romans, uh, the author Paul says, uh, you're a dead person, so you lose those desires, you lose those things. I'll help you along the path because when you start walking in the spirit, you start to gain the spirit of God. The second thing is you lose opinions. You lose opinions. This is, this is a good one, right? Because we are opinionated. I mean, just flip on any kind of social media and you're going to get someone's uh, opinion. If you were here last week, Pastor Isaiah brought up his old, old rickety Bible, if you remember that. And he had chunks of it ripped out from something. I don't know. He got hungry. I don't know. But there were chunks missing. And when he was saying that, I thought about this, this, this week's message. And I thought, but that's exactly how we live, don't it? Don't it? Isn't it? If we don't agree or like certain passages, we rip them out. We may not physically rip them out. But if we have an opinion about something in our life, it doesn't match up. We, we remove that part. We get rid of that. We, we pretend it's not even there. In fact, in philosophy, this is what they call it, practical atheism. And this is the definition. Knowledge is God by mouth, but denies him through actions. Hmm. These opinions we have. We all have them. And the last part is this. Dead people don't have emotions. They don't have feelings. They're, they're, they're dead. Jeremiah 17 nails it. He says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. The human heart. So we lose the ability to allow our emotions to override what the word of God says. And that's hard, isn't it? Let's be honest. Because we, are, we live in a sexually charged, politically charged, feeling charged world that if it feels good, it's right. Love is love. If you believe in it, then this is how you are. This is how you were created. Live in that moment. Don't let anybody tell you this. When, when you come to the cross of Christ, you lay all of that down. I think some of us love to have a savior, but I don't think we're quite ready to have a, a king or a lord. So we love the idea that we're saved from hell, but are you ready to have a lord? And maybe, maybe another definition of the word lord is just leader, somebody that's leading you. So let's jump back into Romans 6. I know there's a lot of verses and a lot of chapters, a lot of, a lot of different uh, texts here, but these things, it matters so much if we're going to get through this. Don't you know that all have sinned we're baptized into Christ Jesus. We're baptized into his death. Now, now, pause for a second. This is different. Three weeks ago, we baptized in water. That's a public declaration of, what, of a decision that was already made in your heart. This is just a metaphor saying you were baptized into his death, meaning that you, you gave up your rights, and now you've taken on the heart of Jesus, and then he's going to move you forward. We were therefore buried with him through the baptism into death in order that... Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Get your notes. Listen to this statement. God doesn't call you to an improved life, but rather a new one. God's not calling us to an improved life. He doesn't want to necessarily make you better. He doesn't necessarily want to make your marriage better, though he does. He doesn't necessarily want to make your future better, though he does. He doesn't want to necessarily remove your past and make your current emotional state better, though he does want those things. He's calling us into a new life, not an improved one. And so Paul's saying, you're new. The old is gone, the new is in front of you. Draw some lines in the sand because we're getting ready to move forward in this. And let's move on to... Romans 6 here, for if we have been united with him in death like this, he will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
For we know that our old self, circle old self, was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be what? Slaves to sin. Wow, someone should say amen. We're no longer slaves to sin. God never designed you. Access, listen to me. God never designed you to walk around in that slavery. Never designed you to walk around with the chains of the sin in your life. He never designed us. The fall came, and by default, we stepped into that. And so now he's showing us what to do with that. He never designed us. So, number one, you're a dead person. You're a dead man. You're a dead person. This is what Romans says. You're dead to sin. So remind yourself that tomorrow when sin comes back, temptation comes. I'm a dead person. Speak that over your life. I'm dead. This thing doesn't matter. This is not going to have me anymore. I'm going to move forward knowing that I have freedom in Christ because I am dead to sin. That's number one. Number two, this one's fun. You need a makeover. Some people may say amen. Don't look to the person next to you. It's definitely, this one was for me. But what is, here's what I really mean by that is this statement. Your identity changes when you become alive in Christ. Identity is such a key word in this whole chapter because your identity changes. So you get a makeover when you come to know Christ. He changes who you are. Uh, the, 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 the real churchy or biblical word for that is sanctification. It's the process of becoming holy. And it says here in Romans 6, it says in the same way, count yourself dead to sin but alive to God in Christ. So you have two choices. Here they are. You can live in sin or in Christ. Today you have two choices. You can live in sin. You can repeat those same patterns. You can stay addicted to whatever it is. You can stay uh, stuck in that cycle. Or you can be in Christ because of the decision that you've made, whether it was 30 years ago or whether you're making it today. In Christ, a new person, changed by the grace of God that fills in the gaps when we mess up. Your whole identity changes. Your whole identity changes. My identity is no longer in sin. It is in Christ. And number three, how do we live free from sin is this. Understand freedom is meant for you. Now listen to this verse. This is, this is critical. Galatians 5.1. It is for what? Freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves. Listen to this statement. Do not let yourself. Read into it. This is what Paul is saying. You have a responsibility in this. Do not let yourself. Oh, come on, Ryan. Isn't, isn't there an easier way? Come, can I just pray and it's done forever? Sometimes that happens. Sometimes God and his sovereign move will just pull something out of your life that happens. But I think for the most of us, it's a daily fight to live holy. In fact, let me step in a little bit deeper. So when it comes to sexual sin specifically, the, the New Testament doesn't say to fight sexual sin. It says to flee from sexual sin. So don't fight because you know you're going to fail. You're going to fall into that. Flee from it. What that means is take your cell phone. Get rid of it. If that's what it takes, close down social media. Put blockers on. Whatever you need to do, flee from these things. Because do not let yourself means you got a responsibility in this. God's going to work, and you're going to work, and you're going to see freedom because you're going to join together, and you're going to do this together. Do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Again, there's that slavery term, that harsh term, right? So, freedom was meant for you. Church, God never meant for you to live a life defeated 
through the sin patterns and the things that are in your life. And I'm not here to, please hear my heart. We're not here. We're not a church that's ever going to speak down to you, shame you. We're here to lift you up, give you tools and say, you can do this out there. You can live a life that God has meant you to live. And so let's get practical about three things and then we're going to pray. First step, if you're going to live free from sin, it's real easy. Just live in community. Now listen, you, you've been around long enough if you have, or maybe this is the first time you've heard this. Here at Access, we do four things. Everything else falls under these four things. Weekly gatherings is what you're doing right now. Get an opportunity weekly to serve God, to worship, to hear a word, whether it's Wednesday nights youth or Sunday mornings or TGIF, whatever that looks like. We do week weekly gatherings. We do our Next Steps class, which is you discovering your gifts and who, how God has created you uniquely to serve this church and, more importantly, your community, where you work, your family. Third is team access. That's you serving in some area in the local church because we, we are an army by numbers, not, not individual. And fourth is this, groups. We're launching it today. Listen, we don't just do groups because we like to have little pockets somewhere. We don't like, you know, little groups of people here and there. We don't do it so we can have a big roster or we can brag about it. We do it because there's such power when you sit in front of somebody else and you start learning and sharpening and you start sharing your temptations and your struggles. And they say, hey, look, brother, I know what you're going through. Here's how it helped out. Here's what helped for me. You need to live in community. You will not make it on your own. You won't. Battle me any day you want with that statement. You will not make it on your own. But culture teaches us live on your own. Conquer this on your, on your own. You can do this. Stop whining. Stop doing this and achieve and do and build and go. There's... At some point that fails and you need someone to sit across the table with you with a cup of coffee and say, look, listen, you need to fix this. You need help and I can help you. You need community. Second thing is this. This is going to sound funny, but look, cut it out. Cut it out. At the young age of 18, somebody decided to make me a youth pastor at a church. They rolled the dice on me. So I've been serving the Lord for, you know, I've been in ministry 20 something years and over and over and over again, I'll sit down with specifically young couples that maybe they're not married. And um, you guessed why they're there, because they're struggling in some areas in their life. They're crossing some purity lines. And so, you know, I, I'll give you some scripture and I'll give you some things. But there's at times where you just have to look at someone and say, cut it out. Stop it. Draw some lines, make some decisions, stand up and stop doing what you're doing. And that sounds like, well, that's not very helpful, Ryan. It absolutely is. Cut it out. Man up. Woman up. Man up. Make some decisions in your life and stop it. And sometimes you just need someone to sit across the table and say, cut it out, bro. You're ruining your life. You're ruining your marriage. You're stuck in this pattern in your, in your mind and you're never going to get out until you cut it out. Here's a great statement to write down and remember. What you feed grows, what you crave controls, but what you starve dies. What you starve will die. Start starving that flesh, that part of that life, and it will die. You will overcome, and I promise you. And the last thing is this. Repent often. Now you may think, that's, that's kind of counterproductive what you just said. It's not. Here's what I mean by that. Don't walk around with the noose of shame and guilt. So part of getting past something is the second you fail, hey, God, I'm so sorry. Forgive me right now. I'm not going to let this defeat me. I'm not going to let this take me out. I'm going to get right back up and I'm going to go. And you make a decision to, to spin and you go and you live in that life because grace will fill in the gaps. So don't let the enemy come in, 
convince you that you're shameful, that you've lost it, that you're disqualified because of the sin that's in your life, stand up and move on. So stop and repent often. In fact, the Bible is very clear about this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. He will help us. He will carry us. And I want to end with one incredible Bible verse. I know there was a lot in here, but it's good to get some meat every once in a while. Romans 5, but God. I love me some but God statements. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. Yeah, come on, give him a hand clap for that. Celebrate that one. That's a statement all by itself. If you don't get anything, this may be your verse for the day. He knew you were going to sin. He knew. And you were already doing that. He still died for you. He still offered that, that grace. He still offered that love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knew that. And he paid the ultimate price for you and for me. Church, listen. Sin is real. There's some effects. But there's ways to overcome and conquer it. You just got to do it. So this is going to be one of those messages where there's not quite this magic formula where we can tell you. You got to get up. You gotta put some feet to those decisions. You gotta walk it out and you gotta do it. And the good news is this, we serve a God that is lifting your arms and carrying you through this process. He is with you, God is with you. So here's how we're gonna to end today. We're gonna to end with a good old fashioned moment of repentance. We're gonna pray in a second and you're gonna speak with your own words in your heart and you're gonna just say some kind of statement that looks like this, God. I love you so much. Thank you for providing a way. Jesus, forgive me for, and then you're going to say it. And then you're going to walk out of this place free. Why can't you walk out of this place free? Right? The Bible tells us we can walk in that. And so in the event, which is likely because we are all human, temptation comes this week, next week, you remind him, you remind the enemy that you are a dead person. You've, that old self is gone, and you're going to walk these things out. So I want you to close your eyes with me. And I just want you to pray. You just say that same statement that I just walked you through. Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for this. And you fill in the blank. Forgive me for falling back into this. You fill out the blank. You fill in the blank. You pray to him. You talk to him with your own words. Nothing, nothing big or small, just normal language. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that when you, when you went on that cross and you died, you thought of me. You thought of me in this moment, knowing that we would come together. I surrender my life. I surrender this area of my life. And maybe you're here and you say, That's, this is all great, but I don't even know if I'm even right with God. I don't even know if I'm even a Christ follower. I need to know today, I maybe have never said a prayer like this. I've never made a decision like this, but today you're done. You're ready. You're ready to surrender. And you want to make this, make today, the day that you prayed, a prayer that asked Jesus Christ to come in, into your heart and you surrendered your life. With nobody looking around, heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you, if that's you, would you just lift your hand where you're at? Lift your hand where you're at. I see that hand, I see that hand. I see the hands going up everywhere, I see that hand. Anyone else? You can put them down, back down once you've raised them. Anyone else? Online, you can make this prayer as well. I see that hand. First service, hands went up all over as well. What a beautiful day. Let's pray. Jesus, you paid the ultimate price for me.
You paid the ultimate price for all of us so that we can walk into a room like this and make a, make a prayer, make a moment that we surrender our lives to you. So Jesus, come into our hearts. We give you everything. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our past. Help us to live for you in the future. We give you everything. We give you our lives today. Thank you so much for dying for me, Jesus. Thank you so much in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. There were hands all over. Hey, guys, can we just celebrate with them? Give them a hand clap.